0: Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV. This week, hey, we've got another Kingston Data Traveler 2000 to give away. Yes! So if you cast your ballot, it could be you. Uh, speaking of Kingston, we're going to be speaking with Cameron from Kingston Technology, and he's going to be sharing with us about their new enterprise-level SSDs. We're going to be learning all kinds of things about how um, innovation has been moving forward with Kingston with SSDs in the uh, enterprise. So like RAID arrays, how is garbage collection working? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a question that I'm going to be asking, so uh, stick around. We've got a lot of great information coming right up.
1: This is Category 5 Technology TV. Our live recordings are trusted only to solid-state drives by Kingston Technology. Revive your computer with improved performance and reliability over traditional hard drives with Kingston SSDs.
0: Category 5 TV streams live with Telestream Wirecast and Nimble Streamer. Tune in every week on Roku, Kodi, Plex, and other HLS video players. For local showtimes, visit Category5.tv.
1: Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN. And the International Association of Internet Broadcast cat5.tv slash iaib.
0: Welcome to the show. I'm Robbie. I'm Sasha. It's episode number 601. Thank you so much for being here with us this week. We've got a great show planned. Uh, before we get into it, I want to do a quick check-in on our ad-blocking server from episode number 599. It's a DNS ad-blocker using PyHole on, and now I installed it on an Odroid HC1, right. aka Home Cloud One. Really cool device. We stuck a Kingston SSD in there, and it is, uh, it's doing a fantastic job for us um, with this device, we, well, I was shocked to find that uh, I had nearly, um, well, 40%, a a little more than 40% of the websites that are being accessed, according to this Mm -hmm. device, uh, are being blocked.
1: That's incredible.
0: And la- last week, that was my reaction. Yeah. Like, what is going on? Like, what are we surfing for that has that many ads that 40% is being blocked? And as it turns out, Sasha, mm-hmm. I found that my uh, cryptocurrency mining tools were actually the, the culprit. Oh. So the, the cryptocurrency pools were part of the block list by default in Pi-hole, So my yes. cryptocurrency hashes were actually being rejected by my DNS server, and so they're going into the abyss, and it's just wasted cryptocurrency hashes.
1: Can you just take them out of the block list?
0: Well, that's, that's what I need to do next. So okay. my next step is to see if I can figure out, well, I can from the logs, but see which um, cryptocurrency mining pools are being blocked okay. and add them to the allowed list, the white list, right. and see, I want to see if that overrides the blacklist. Right. If, if it's as simple as that, I'll be a very happy camper. Otherwise, I've got to nitpick through these default lists, probably fork them on GitHub and figure out where it's being blocked and actually modify that. I'd like to figure out which ones I want to whitelist and actually override right. the lists. That's my intention. So we are seeing that the ads are being blocked throughout our network, which is fantastic. Internet is running faster than ever before because it's not serving up advertising on our internet service at home. Right. Um, but I want to get that resolved because I'm basically throwing cryptocurrency hashes into the wind.
1: Would there be any reason it's just, or they just got kind of st- I guess they got in put together? in. They
0: got bunched into the list.
1: Yeah, weird. Yeah.
0: I guess you know sometimes the, uh, cryptocurrency can be misconstrued as being uh, malicious when it's benign, and right. so
1: so somehow, if you're
0: actually using cryptocurrency, maybe maybe it's to protect people who aren't actually crypto mining from, from
1: being like infiltrated and from
0: being exploited. Yeah, yeah, so that people aren't using yes. my bandwidth it's- in order to crypto mine for themselves.
1: Right. I don't well, know,
0: but I'm going to see if I can get that fixed. So, <laughs> uh, Before we jump into tonight's show, I want to remind you to subscribe to us on YouTube, and also uh, you can click that little bell, and that will help you to receive notifications whenever we're live or whenever we post new and exciting content. Um, tonight, we've got a fantastic show planned for you. Uh, Cameron Crandall is a senior technology manager at Kingston, and he helps to lead the engineering efforts. Uh, and the new and current products, and he also serves as the technical advisor for Kingston's sales, marketing, and public relations. Lately, he's been instrumental in overseeing the launch of Kingston's new lineup of enterprise-grade solid-state drives. Cameron, thank you so much for being here with us this week.
2: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Cameron, I've got some great questions for you, we want to go right into it. Um, first of all, um, businesses demand fast performance from their storage, whether it's an in-house server hosting network shares, uh, or perhaps it's an internet-facing web server, um, IT admins like myself, we've got a need for speed, my man, uh, probably because realistically when things get slow, it's us who have to hear the complaints. Um, So being a technology leader yourself, um, Kingston must receive a lot of requests for more speed or higher capacity from from your customers. Um, So my question is, from your perspective, what are customers looking for? And I guess how is that influencing Kingston's innovation as well?
2: So, yeah, great questions. So, yeah, uh, both capacity and performance are, uh, are drivers in the industry today. Um, specifically in the data center, uh, what we're being asked for is uh, definitely higher capacities, uh, but also performance consistency from the SSD in the data center. Uh, there's very much now a distinction in performance between uh, what a client SSD delivers and an enterprise SSD delivers. And Mm -hmm. over the last, I'd say, three to four years, uh, this concept of performance consistency uh, and uh, what they call QoS or quality of service uh, has really uh, become uh, key to the buying decisions uh, Mm -hmm. uh, by IT administrators and storage architects. So uh, they're not necessarily looking for peak levels of performance they might find on a data sheet, but give me that performance consistently uh, for my workload.
0: Yeah. Now, when I hear QoS, quality of service, I think about my internet connectivity. Um, You know, we're doing this interview over Skype, so we're using QoS technology in order to uh, delegate packets so that our feed is really good during the interview. So how does QoS play into solid-state storage?
2: So it's funny you mention that the, the the term QoS actually came from uh, uh, Ethernet and um, uh, networking bandwidth. It was the um, the the guaranteed quality of service or performance you would get from your internet provider. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's been, that term has been adopted by the SSD industry uh, but it relates to the consistent delivery of IO performance from the SSD and latency performance. So uh, what a data center customer wants in their storage device today uh, for server workloads is consistent levels of IO delivery from the SSD uh, as well as consistent latency. We can't have big latency spikes uh, in our application and we can't have IO cliffs occur that show up in the end application somewhere because uh, that's a you know a, a poor experience on a website uh, that is a e-commerce site that is slow where you potentially have a buyer uh, that moves away from the site uh, and goes and purchases somewhere else. So sure. um, data centers today are really looking at um and and designing their own test to test ssds for this performance consistency we cannot deliver a client SSD to a data center customer like we could, you know, five, six years ago. Today, Mm -hmm. they're demanding this level of performance consistency in the storage devices that they're buying.
0: Yeah. And I I think that that's probably being pushed by, uh, like, we're using virtualization more than ever. We're using um, network-attached storage and iSCSI devices more than ever. So this is shared resources against many different servers, many different web services, databases, and things like that. So that consistent speed is, is really important to us uh, in the data center and in business. Um, Cameron, can you tell us what's got you personally really excited about the new Kingston data center uh, DC500 SSDs and also kind of how they differ from previous generations of the drives?
2: Sure. So uh, we've, we're probably best known for... Ah, uh, client and consumer SSDs in the marketplace. I mean, if you if you were you know in an, at an industry event and you asked somebody what they thought of kinks and SSDs, they'd probably say, hey, they're a great you know client or consumer brand that I might find in a in a retail outlet. Gaming, my friend, in gaming, and yeah, in gaming, gaming, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Um, but we have been uh, uh, selling uh, enterprise-class SSDs. Uh, for the last probably five or six years, uh, but our product portfolio has been quite small. We've had uh, kind of one or two drives in that segment, and we've got you know great a great customer base from our DRAM relationships. And we've been able to sell our SS our, our enterprise SSDs into those into those customer bases. Mm-hmm. Uh, now moving forward uh, with this new DC 500 line that we've just launched, we've added two drives to the line, and we have three more drives coming out before Q3. So we're really expanding wow. the line, yeah. uh, and really going after different tiers of of, of enterprise business. Um, we're heavily focused still on SATA today, uh, even though NVMe is kind of the the big buzzword. Um, we're finding that in in the in the in the typical channel that we sell to, uh, there's still a lot of serial ATA being used mm-hmm. in data center servers. A lot of the tier two and tier three cloud uh, companies are still heavily based on on SATA. Yeah. Uh, so. So the DC 500 is uh, uh, is a SATA SSD offered in two different uh, endurance levels, uh, and then we're going to be coming out with another uh, 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 product SATA product in that lineup, and then we'll move to two NVMe products uh, to help those same customers oh. that are you know heavily on SATA today transition to NVMe. Wow.
0: Okay, I want to circle back to that. Um, but, um, first of all, you mentioned that you've got two different models that are going to be coming out. So we've got the R and the M. So we're going to see DC 500 R. We're going to see DC 500 M. So for me as a C-suite, um, executive who's looking to purchase,
2: uh,
0: well, if one is less money than the other, like where, what, what's the difference? Like, why am I looking at an M versus an R for example?
2: So the R stands for read-centric workloads, uh, and M stands for mixed use, and those are closely tied to uh, the endurance level of an SSD. So typically a, a data center customer that's looking to source SSDs uh, for their servers and storage arrays, uh, they're looking at performance and they're looking at endurance. And most data center customers that are making that purchase Probably already have an idea of the endurance level that they're looking for in their SSD, mm-hmm. uh, so they're looking at either like a, a sub one drive write per day SSD, or they're looking for more endurance at either a drive write or maybe a little bit over one drive write per day. So we offer two different categories, and just like you said, there is a price difference between those the the, the R and the M, uh, R being more read centric. So if you had an application that you know was more you know ninety to ninety five percent read, right, um, from a cost standpoint, you'd you know you would be better off buying a DC 500 r if you had more of a, 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 a workload that had a balance of mixed reads and writes, um, you're going to be writing to that drive more. So mm-hmm. you'd want to, you'd want to outfit the, the the server with the DC 500 m okay. So it's really workload specific. Um, and that we we know from industry analysts that the the majority, about 80, 81, 82% of the SSDs that are deployed into servers today require one or less than one drive-write per day of mm-hmm. endurance. So we're going after okay. that bigger kind of bucket of, of, of business and opportunity. Uh, we're not going to be producing, you know, five and ten drive-write per day sure. uh, SSDs. That's a, a very competitive segment um, and a much smaller segment of the market.
0: Okay, so with one drive-write a day, um, immediately the thought that comes to mind is what kind of capacity are we looking at with the DC500s?
2: So uh, both models, the R and the M, uh, they're offered in 480, 960, 1.92 terabytes, and 3.84 terabytes. Wow! So those
0: are those are quite large uh, capacity. Um, am I right in thinking, based on your description here, uh, what's coming to mind with the uh, with the two different models, the R and the M? is that the R is going to be more for, like, say it would be perfect f- solution for, say, a, um, uh, a web host. Who's, exactly. Yeah. We're, we're uploading files to it once in a while, but realistically, it's all read data. It's people visiting the website. Versus the, the M um, would be more for, um, say, an internal storage for my business network where we're opening a lot of files and saving those files back to the network drive.
2: Is that a- accurate? That uh, that's very accurate. Okay. In fact, our 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 our, our, our main uh, customer uh, uh, base that we're going after with these drives uh, is the tier two and tier three cloud companies, the hosting companies. Okay. Yeah, um, they you know they are they're still heavily SATA today. Mm-hmm. Um, they're you know they're looking for uh, the, kind of the sweet spot in capacity is. Uh, 960 and 1.92 terabyte. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got some some demand for for four terabyte, but most of the volume that we're seeing is in that one and two terabyte uh, capacity range. Sure, and when and you've yeah, got the,
0: the, you've got lots of drives in a in an array, it's going to give you uh, much higher capacity once you've got eight or twelve drives in there. Um, Correct. Which, which really makes me think now, I'm sure like in, a, in our standard PC, we're used to having maybe one or two SSDs in there. And, and so the difference in power consumption is going to be negligible between, um, say, an SSD and, a, and a, an old style spinning drive. But in a data center, uh, as I say, we've got each server in the rack is going to have eight or more uh, SSDs in it or spinning hard drives. Uh, Does switching those servers, so our existing infrastructure, so taking those servers that have 8, 12, 24 drives in them, if we switch those to SSDs, are we going to reduce our electrical usage by any notable amount?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we, we we were doing these tests uh, several years ago when um, when SSDs first came out, and we started putting SSDs into into servers, and uh, it was kind of a twofold effect. You were getting the benefit of, of lower power consumption, uh, but your the 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 performance you were getting out of the SSD array was was you know many many times over, almost two hundred percent. Wow! Uh, what you were getting from from the um, From the hard drive arrays, you know, a a typical, you know, 10 or 15K RPM uh, hard drive, you know, consumes quite a bit of power, right? Sure. So, um, and and like you said, scaled up in in arrays of 8, 16, and 24, um, you know, you can, you know, reduce your, your power footprint. By quite a bit by just going to SSDs, mm-hmm. um, and in fact, you might even be able to reduce the the, the, the number of physical devices even with an SSD, um, and get more performance than you're getting with hard drives. Right. You know, the storage arrays and servers that are built. With hard drives today are scaled out with hard drives to get performance that capacity may not be being used uh, but that they're they're scaling hard drives to get the performance out of them so if you don't have to scale that if you don't have to scale hard drives you're getting the benefit of reduced power consumption and greater performance with fewer drives so it's the concept of doing more with less
0: yeah i expect that with spinning drives we have to have them spinning 24 seven because you can't wait for the drive to spin up. It's gonna take between four and maybe 10 seconds to spin up and nobody's gonna wait for a website (laughs) for that amount of time. So SSDs like zippity zap, just right there, always on. Um, Now we've got to take a really quick break. We're speaking with Cameron Crandall from Kingston Technology about their new data center drives and the state of solid state drives in enterprise servers. Um, When we get back, we're gonna be learning about how Kingston is addressing the shortcomings of the aging SATA interface and how their new drives deal with latency as well as garbage collection. Stick around. For a limited time, get your hands on limited edition shirts from the Category 5 TV network. These high-quality shirts are manufactured by Teespring, a fundraising website, and your purchase will help support the shows we produce. Get yours today and send us your pictures to be featured on the corresponding show. Visit cat5.tv slash shirts to support us and get your official network shirt today. cat5.tv slash shirts. This week, we're speaking with Cameron Crandall. He's a Senior Technology Manager with Kingston Technologies' SSD Product Engineering Department. And not only does he help to lead the engineering efforts for new and current product offerings, but he also serves as a technical advisor. Lately, he's also been working on bringing you their brand new enterprise SSDs. Before the break, we learned about the new data center DC500 drives... But if I'm going to invest in new storage drives for my company, I need to know how future-ready my investment is and how the upgrade will impact performance for my business in the years to come. We need to have fault tolerance. That goes without saying. So if a drive fails, we can seamlessly replace it and then have the array rebuild the data. But I've heard, Cameron, that... um, In the past, trim has been a problem for SSDs, Um, so we'll call it garbage collection. It doesn't necessarily work well when you put solid-state drives into a RAID array. This, of course, leads to high latency over time, which is not going to be good for the data center or the in-house server performance, Um, but yet the advancement of technology is still driving us to replace the old spinning drives in our server with solid-state drives. So my question for you Cameron is how is Kingston addressing the issue of garbage collection and is it something that we still need to be concerned with in 2019?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so uh, garbage collection is a necessity on any SSD. Uh, so you have you have you have you have two processes. You've got uh, garbage collection, which is initiated by uh, the onboard SSD controller on the SSD itself, mm-hmm. and then trim is actually initiated by the file system because the file system knows where the invalid data blocks are, so it can send a command to the SSD to do that house cleaning. So the the two work kind of side by side. Just know that trim is file system initiated, uh, which has to be passed through a driver and onto the SSD, um, and then garbage collection is an internal routine that's done on the SSD to keep the drive clean and the blocks clean, ready for new writes to come in. But both processes are trying to ac- to accomplish the same thing, which is basically keep the drive uh, in a clean state so that when new writes come into the drive, it can process those writes quickly, and you don't have latency and I.O. Cliffs. Um, And a lot of that firmware tuning that I talked about earlier on uh, with uh, tuning for QoS goes into how we handle uh, a trim command that comes in from the host uh, and how we initiate garbage collection to maintain steady state performance over the drive. So there's firmware techniques that are used. There are over-provisioning techniques that are that are done on the SSD where we set larger portions of the flash aside to do these background operations efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, again, I, I can't stress enough today, in today's SSD world, how different a client SSD is from a server SSD and tuning for QoS is being really the key priority uh, at Kingston, for data center SSDs, we put a lot of time into making sure that we're delivering performance consistently. Um, going to your question about, uh, you know, trim and being able to uh, pass a trim command uh, through a RAID controller, right? Um, a lot of that has been solved Um Uh, A lot of the uh, RAID controllers and the file systems now are are compatible, and and that trim command can come through to the SSD that sits behind a RAID controller. In the early days, that was not possible, but a lot of that has been solved today. Fantastic. Now, is that
0: that like a Linux kernel thing? Is that something that um, we have to, like, is this hardware related as far as the backplane goes, or is this, where does that come from?
2: It's it. It is in the kernel. Um, okay. So software up uh, uh, updates. Software. Yep. Perfect.
0: Yeah. That's perfect, um, and, and I want to circle back now, uh, before the break we were talking a little bit about SATA and how serial ATA is, um, is still being used in um, the data center and in business, and, and as I think about I.O. performance and the overall speed of our servers, we're, we're kind of approaching this point, or maybe we're already there Cameron, where um, storage technology is actually finding a bottleneck introduced by the controller itself. Now, your new drives, the DC500s, they're extremely fast, but they're still limited to the SATA speeds since the typical server backplane is still using that bus interface. Uh, So for those of us whose need for speed is borderline on obsession, uh, what is on the horizon as far as something faster goes? You talked about NVMe, and I think NVMe in the server, what could be on the horizon for us here, Cameron?
2: Yeah, so a great question. So, yeah, we've been building uh, SSDs with hard drive interfaces uh, for the last 12 years, and there are many, many debates uh, in our industry uh, about this subject, and obviously NVMe was developed to address this problem. Um, the issue is that the, the the number of SATA and SAS sockets that exist in the world today are, are literally in the billions, so it makes sense for... SSD companies like Kingston to develop, uh, SSDs with, uh, uh, interfaces that have, uh, you know, literally billions of opportunities for, uh, uh for socket placement. Uh, but definitely. So NVMe was developed as a, uh, a better, uh, uh interface for flash based SSDs. The, uh, the, the, the tier one, uh, data centers that are out there, and these are all the household names that that we all know of here. Um, they moved to NVMe, you know, pretty quick, uh, actually a couple of years ago. Okay. Uh, so they're he- they're heavy NVMe today. Um, in in the channel though, there's still um, we're still seeing SATA used heavily, primarily because SATA, even though the the it, the, the SATA interface is a performance bottleneck it still delivers very, very good performance. Sure. And I would say what we've done with SATA over the last several years is we, we keep improving um, the SSD technology. And really, like I was talking about around QoS and even peak levels of bandwidth performance, uh, we've been able to really refine the, uh, the, the, the performance capability of, uh, of SATA SSD. So they've, they've been able to go out on this long runway um, uh, and still be very viable solutions at a lower price point than NVMe today. NVMe still carries a price premium over SATA. Uh, it is they are coming together, but until until we're at, until NVMe and SATA are at price parity, I think you're still going to see customers that you know don't have that 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 huge performance requirement. They're going to stick to Serial ATA mm-hmm. until they're at price parity or you know the, the system manufacturer forces them to go to NVMe.
0: Sure, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I, I can't wait to see what's next. Um, so just as kind of a final thought here, Cameron, so let's, let's just put a scenario out there. I'm a, a business exec or an IT administrator. I've already got storage um, servers in my rack, um, and I just want to increase the performance, increase the throughput um, by changing the drives is it advantageous for me to pull those old spinning drives and, and switch over to DC500s?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's an immediate... I mean, just just like we saw on the client side. I mean, it is, you know, we all saw kind of a night and day difference on our personal yeah. computers. like our desktop know,
0: computers, laptops, switching to SSDs. It's like night and day.
2: Absolutely. It is. It is. So if you were to, you know, you know, you know, put, you know, 4, 8, 16, 24, uh, DC 500s behind your existing RAID controller that you're using for, with spinning disc, um, you're going to see giant, uh, uh, giant, uh, benefits in, um, got everything, uh, IO performance, you know, IOPS go, go shooting way up, uh, bandwidth performance is going to shoot way up, your latencies are going to go way down. Um, so absolutely there, there, that, that upgrade model, uh, still very much is a, is a, is a benefit today.
0: Very good. Cameron Crandall is uh, joining us from Kingston Technology. Cameron, thank you so much for uh, joining us uh, today, and congratulations on the release of the DC Five Hundred as well. We're very very excited about this uh, this new drive.
2: You're welcome. Thank you very much. All the best.
0: We've got to head over to the newsroom, Sasha.
1: Thanks, Robbie. Here are the stories we're covering this week in the Category 5.TV newsroom. A task force led by Spanish cops has dealt TV piracy a heavy blow after shuttering a network of illegal sports streaming sites operating across Spain, the UK, Denmark, Latvia, the Netherlands, and Cyprus. Stadia, a brand new game streaming service from Google, has been revealed, and it's powered by open source technology. Apple has unveiled its new TV streaming platform, Apple TV Plus, at a star-studded event in California, and a self-driving shuttle service is to be deployed in New York City by the middle of the year. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. This is the Category 5.TV newsroom, covering the week's top tech stories with a slight Linux
0: bias. Jeff Weston. Yama. You're building a brand new, beautiful website. What? Aren't you? No. Am I? Oh, you're a terrible actor. What? This is where acting comes into play. Oh, I didn't know we were acting. You're supposed to act. Okay, fair enough. All right. well, I'm building a really cool website. Are you building a really cool website?
1: I'm Sasha Rickman, and here are the top stories we're following this week task force led by Spanish cops has dealt TV piracy a heavy blow after shuttering a network of illegal sports streaming sites operating across Spain, the UK, Denmark, Latvia, the Netherlands and Cyprus. Police arrested five suspects and identified 11 ramshackle data centers that were used to provide access to more than 800 channels in the largest operation of its kind in Europe. Illegal streaming is big business. A quick online search will find hundreds of websites that promised access. Access to big sports events for cheaper than sports packages from authorized sources. Policia Nacional said that the investigation into this particular piracy ring started late 2015 after England's Premier League made a formal complaint against a streaming website based in Malaga. The cops soon found out that the criminals were running a highly organized setup, offering services on subscription with packages priced between 40 and 460 pounds per month. Euros. Oh, euros. Sorry, I just had to interject. Uh Subscribers have been identified in more than 30 countries. Spanish police said in the statement that the strategy used by the suspects was... to, was to use a multitude of servers and then change them periodically, gradually creating new web pages to form a frame re- framework that, in principle, had no relationship. In this way, they tried not to be detected by the national police and continue profiting from the crime. It is estimated that the criminal empire earned at least. 8 million euros during the arrests. The police confiscate, confiscated no fewer than 12 high-end vehicles. Well. So they were making a ton of money. Oh, yeah. Holy. I mean, if I'm
0: making 8 million euros, I'm going Lambo.
1: I guess so. Yeah. No, they're not flying under the radar. That's
0: <sighs> Yeah. How does something so. like this start? I mean, there's two sides to this. Because there's this side where these types of streaming services give people a connection to home so right. i can see how so say i moved to the united states from uh from an eastern country wherever right, right? A- and and i wanted to be able to tune into my native language programming mm-hmm. i definitely want to subscribe to those kinds of services so that i can access that programming from home
1: that makes sense
0: yeah like and similarly here in canada an english-speaking person such as myself who would be hard-pressed to understand any other language if i moved somewhere that you know say they spoke mandarin i would just be absolutely lost on the if i was trying to find some entertainment right and so tuning into a streaming service from back home in canada would be fantastic so, what happens when there are places in the world whose TV networks are not provisioning that? And even here in Canada, so Rogers Cable TV. Right. Right? If you go to Belize. And try to watch your Rogers TV from Barrie, Ontario, Canada. Yes. It's going to block you because they use geolocation to say you're not in Canada, so you're not allowed to watch this. Right. So then we use a VPN tunnel and and so on and so forth. But then if my physical address has moved to somewhere else in the world, Mm -hmm. I can no longer subscribe to that service because I don't have a Canadian address. Right. So it's like this double-edged thing where, yeah, there's probably
1: there 's a market for it and a need for it right uh, so.
0: yeah, it, it almost feels like maybe the broadcasters have got it wrong like they ever get it wrong, but why is <clears throat> why am I having to subscribe to these services yeah. in order to get my native programming
1: right could
0: it, Could it not be the case that I, as a canadian english speaking individual can subscribe to a canadian service broadcast service and watch it from anywhere in the world like that's the world wide web quit using geolocation to block me (laughs) no matter where i am i want to be able to access it and use it and subscribe to it and so so that maybe pushes the end consumer to try some of these illegal services see. which then boosts their revenues which then you know oh well I can actually get more programming for cheaper because it's illegal and they're streaming right. it all from these ramshackle studios if you will speaking of ramshackle studio welcome to studio B <laughs> everyone this is category 5 TV it's nice to have you here
1: okay so here's what I was thinking about it and mm. I, I wasn't thinking in terms of the world wideness of it i was more thinking about the money side so yeah. they're making a ton of money off of these these illegal piracy streaming services like the, so people are paying for the service but they're probably paying less than the pumped up prices yeah. that are being charged yeah
0: they are and that's right a, that's a big problem
1: so, so i think that maybe it, the argument could be just that the prices are too high in the legitimate field. Because it's not that people aren't paying, they still are paying right. the pirates. Who are they paying,
0: though? They're paying so an they, illegal.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. The copyright holders, the, the, right. the content creators, are not the ones getting paid for that. Right.
1: So if they were to lower their expectations a little bit, like if they were to lower the bar and, and charge slightly less, they could be able to compete with the piracy <laughs> people.
0: I like the way you think. Let, right? let illegal content drive down the price of legal content. But, I don't think that's the way it works, but maybe if the legal content were provisioned in such a way that I can use it, I mean, and chat room, uh, which you can't see during uh, the newsroom, but maybe think that I have no clue because it's all copywritten material and and Canadian content is licensed for Canadian distributorship and so on and so forth but yes I understand the CRTC and I understand regulations and and telecommunication regulations and things like that but could they not say okay well we're going to be an international this is all hypothetical I, I don't mean this should be the way I mean in our world that is interconnected via the world wide web Mm -hmm. should it not be the case where our broadcasting companies are pursuing being able to remove the borders so whether that be copyrights whether that be mpaa or ria or whatever crtc that we would remove those borders and say okay you're a canadian citizen or you are an American citizen, or you are from wherever, you are therefore legitimately allowed to access the content from the broadcast networks of that country.
1: That this, That's common sense to me. I, I like that.
0: I like that.
1: Right? The, I don't know. It
0: doesn't address the fact that piracy still exists.
1: Piracy exists, but, and and I feel like piracy will always exist sure. if these... Structures are in place that block you.
0: But there are a couple of things that drive the piracy industry. One of those being cost is cheaper, Mm -hmm. so people can get the service cheaper. But the average consumer, the, the other cause of piracy being supported is because I can't legitimately get the content that I desire. Right. I buy DVDs from Amazon.co.uk and bbc.co.uk because I cannot buy my BBC shows and the Sky One shows from Canadian distributors. So when I receive those DVDs, they are region encoded to where? Canada? No. They're region encoded to Europe. Mm -hmm. So if I put them in a Canadian player, it doesn't play. So I have to crack those
1: discs. It's ridiculous it kind of is i don't get it like i just don't we
0: just should for those who legitimately pursue the content there should be no borders right as simple as that we live in a worldwide web connected world
1: i'd vote for you robbie
0: absolutely has nothing to do with (laughs) <laughs> the fact that they just <laughs> shut down a piracy ring but you got me going
1: <laughs> Stadia a new a brand new game streaming service from Google has been re- revealed and it's powered by open source technology long rumored but only formally announced at Games Developer Conference last week the cloud gaming service promises to let gamers game from pretty much anywhere they want see yeah There's no Stadia console, no box you buy and hook up to your TV. Instead, games run from a data center and are streamed to you via the Internet. Games can be streamed at up to 4K and 60 frames per second, depending on your connection, of course. The dream of playing AAA games on Stadia on your crummy downstairs TV, your mid-range Android, or a laptop running Linux and Google Chrome is now real. Google designed a custom controller to accompany the service. The pad has built-in Wi-Fi and microphone, plus dedicated buttons for streaming games to YouTube and opening Google Assistant. In all, it's kind of uh, like a more varied and more fancy and more accessible version of PlayStation Now, which is itself based on the short-lived on-live service. Google has yet to reveal details on pricing and availability, but has said Stadia will launch... This year in the US, Canada, UK, and most of Europe.
0: I love the idea of streaming gaming service, and we're finally probably there. I've seen some startups try this service, Mm -hmm. these types of services, and fail because the technology just wasn't there. Now, Google, of all companies, being able to provision gigabit Ethernet to homes and and everything else, like the infrastructure that they have. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful.
1: You know that I'm like a lover of like pretty much every way you could play a game. I this will be something that I have. Android Go for me, buddy. Yeah, I have one of those too. Yes, I just love them all. I want to collect all the different ways to play a game. So thank you.
0: But this (laughs) does a way. So uh, uh, traditionally, now we've had this talk. Sorry, backing up. So not traditionally, we had this talk. Yes, a few weeks back about how. platform maybe it was a while ago but how i can't play a nintendo switch game cross-platform on an xbox yes. one and x and so it becomes this like okay you've you you can not my kids can't play with their friends if they don't have the same Gaming system. Exactly. This does away with that. And I love that. Again, I'm all about removing those borders and and removing the restrictions when I legitimately own content. I feel like there shouldn't be restrictions on that content. So this... Takes those games, takes it away from you needing to have a super powerful gaming rig or a super powerful gaming console system, and instead puts it in the data center, Mm -hmm. puts it on Kingston DC five hundred SSDs, of course, yeah, and and fires it up, and it's playable through a streaming media connection. I don't know if there's going to be high latency. I imagine Google, of all companies, would have thought of that. <laughs> there's going to be, you know, it's something right. that they're, they're definitely going to work out. Um, but you're actually playing it on their servers, right. and their servers are streaming the video in 60 frames per second back to your screen. So I can take it from my laptop mm-hmm. in Chrome to my TV to my phone to my whatever device, exactly and it, there's no restriction on the platform it doesn't it doesn't make a difference
1: I feel like when we talk, Google listens like I just feel like they have they do. <laughs> The okay, nail Google. On the head. They've hit the nail on Cancel. the head. Cancel. Sorry. I had to say it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, like, it's exactly what we need.
0: Remember that microphone uh, on the controller? Yeah. Yeah, they're listening. They're listening.
1: <laughs> it's for gaming. It's so
0: you can talk to the children in Fortnite. Yeah. That's what that microphone is there for.
1: We're not getting all shady on it. I really just <laughs> love this idea completely and we'll be getting one of these now let you know how so we've
0: talked about cloud based services and now cloud-based gaming Mm -hmm. that's what this introduces and it doesn't matter if your friends are on whatever platform whatever device i can be playing it on my laptop my daughter can be playing it on her phone my son can be playing it on the tv downstairs
1: and you could be in the same battle
0: we can be playing together yeah I love that. That's where the Internet thing can take us.
1: Right. And they're
0: finally starting to catch on to this, Sasha. They're finally catching on. Thank
1: you for listening, Google. (laughs) apple has unveiled its new tv streaming platform apple tv plus at a star-studded event in california jennifer aniston steven spielberg and oprah winfrey were among those who took to the stage at apple's headquarters to reveal their involvement in tv projects commissioned by the tech giant the platform will include shows from existing services like hulu and hbo Apple also announced that it would be launching a credit card, gaming portal, and enhanced news app. The event was held in California, and Apple Chief Executive Tim Cook was clear from the start that the announcement would be about new services, not new devices. It is a change of direction for the 42-year-old company. There's been a lot of anticipation about Apple's predicted foray into the TV streaming market dominated by the likes of Amazon and Netflix. The Amazon Apple or the Apple TV Plus app was unveiled by Steven Spielberg and will launch in the autumn. Spielberg will himself be creating some of the material for the new platform, he said. Other stars who took to the stage included Reese Witherspoon, Stephen Corral, Jason Momoa, Alfre Woodard, comedian Kamal Nananji, and Big Bird from Sesame Street. Oh,
0: well, if Big Bird was there. Big Bird
1: was there, so it's golden. The app will be made available on rival devices for the first time, coming to Samsung, LG, Sony, Vizio Smart TVs, as well as Amazon's Fire Stick and Roku. The subscription fee was not announced and notably absent from the launch lineup up was Netflix, which had already rolled itself out of being part of the bundle. As far as the Apple Card credit card goes, it will launch in the U.S. this summer. There will be both an iPhone and physical version of the card with a cashback incentive on every purchase. The credit card will have no late fees, annual fees, or international fees, says Apple Pay VP Jennifer Bailey. It has been created with the help of Goldman Sachs and MasterCard. So, Mm. huh.
0: Apple has this tendency. We think of them as innovators, but they have this tendency. And if you look at their history, this is true, you'll find, to follow. But when they follow, they clobber the competition. So when the iPhone came out,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Nokia was the leader. And they where are they now right right uh, when so now so Netflix is not a part of this, well obviously because guess what Netflix is getting ready because yeah, they know Apple follows, they perfect and they and somehow they they
1: they manage they to get the followership.
0: yeah, they, but now with this being available on other devices, mm-hmm. so I can put this on my Android device too
1: yeah
0: we're not limited to an Apple TV piece of equipment or an Apple
1: iPhone piece of equipment, right?
0: So now all of a sudden it's successful. This is smart. This is really
1: smart, and I, I've I've not been an Apple person myself. No, but this is smart, and. I, I'd like and to see... And yet it's conniving. I know. I'd like to see it's how It's just the it way goes. they work. It's just I mean, the I'm, way they work. I'm just team Netflix, and I feel like I don't want them to go...
0: Netflix has been doing some really awesome things, and Amazon is really starting to pick up the yeah. pace with Prime, and we're starting to catch on to that as well. So to have a third player is a good thing,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but that it's Apple, we know that it's... Okay. They're it, just going to command and conquer.
1: I will say one thing. The whole card thing confuses me, uh, but...
0: Yeah, it's like, like a it smoke screen. Like it just seems like
1: and also we'll have a credit card.
0: Oh yeah, by the way. Here you go. I just, You know it, what? They get every student to have an Apple credit card. And they will. And it's like it's like the McDonald's advertising when you're free. It's it just gets in your head to the point when you're an adult that's all that you just you know it.
1: So probably you could pay for Apple TV Plus with, with your, your credit card, card and oh, get a yeah. discount on it. Right? Probably is the way it happens. That's how they get you. Okay, well, you can do this. It's like shopping
0: with the Starbucks app.
1: Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, but something, we'll see. (laughs) We'll see.
0: We'll see. Will you subscribe? To Apple TV+, Plus, they're really original with names, by the way. Yeah. Just waiting for the iPhone Plus to come out. Uh, but the Apple TV+, Plus. are you going to be a subscriber? I mean, Oprah is going to be on that.
1: Yeah, Reese Witherspoon. That's another thing, just to back it up for a second. Another thing where all of a sudden red flags go up for me is when it's that star-studded that means like that means that they know that the product itself might not sell itself they need to like pay a bunch of people to come and talk about how awesome it is i'm just saying
0: will you subscribe comment below that's all i ask
1: a self-driving shuttle service is to be deployed in New York City by the middle of the year. Boston's startup, Optimus Ride, will run on vehicles on private roads at the Brooklyn Navy Yard site located on New York's East River. The shuttle will help workers get around the large site. Self-driving vehicles are being widely trialed around the world, but vehicles sometimes crash and some regulators have halted tests. The cars are designed to operate in environments of 25 miles per hour.
0: Okay. Yeah. I can see this working really really well at campuses or like we've heard of using autonomous vehicles in zoos. Right. And things like that like that just makes sense.
1: Colleen, when I went to go visit her in Vancouver, yes. um they use the SkyTrain. The SkyTrain is unmanned. It's it's Is
0: it is it autonomous or is it like controlled by a remote person? looking at a camera or
1: something. I don't know. don't know. What I do know is you can you can sit as though you were the driver. Like it the whole thing. There's nice. not a spot, right? Oh, wh- yeah? Right. So she sometimes will pick that spot, but then it's unnerving because then you realize there's not a person operating it. Right. And the only time that they ever need people operating it at all is if there's bad weather and it's just for the person to press a button to say, Oh no, that's just snow in the way. You can keep going. Right? Okay. Like yeah, I'm so. I'm
0: absolutely picturing Somebody sitting eating donuts like Homer Simpson <laughs> pushing the buttons like throttle up, throttle down, <laughs> throttle up, throttle down.
1: <laughs> so
0: hey, oh, I like it. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, let's take a really quick look at CoinGecko, the cryptocurrency report for this week from Category 5 TV. And this is uh, the market uh, outlook as of 1800 hours Eastern time on Wednesday, the 27th. Is it the 27th of oh, March already? Fred. As far as uh, when we're broadcasting live, Bitcoin has gone down just a little bit. Again, at this, at, at this value, $4,000 plus, $3 loss is pretty minimal. That's You're not going to feel that, yeah. folks. Um, Litecoin, however, has gone up a little bit at $61, which at that size, being $1. five plus, is uh, quite a gain. Ethereum is uh, is down just a little bit uh, at $137.90 U.S. Monero, sitting at $52.87, down $1.38 U.S. from last week. <laughs> the little guy, Stellite, is sitting at 1.61 ten thousandths of a cent. Are you ready for this gain? They're, they're a big gainer here.
1: Turtle
0: Oh, no, Stellite. Oh, Stellite, okay. <laughs> gained over last week's numbers, 001 Ten thousandths of a cent. Ha!
1: Huh, way to go, stellite. I
0: would call that static.
1: I would call that stellar. I'm <laughs>
0: kidding. <laughs> TurtleCoin <laughs> gained uh, actually quite a bit. Considering last week it was sitting at just 0.7 ten thousandths of a cent, uh, it gained 0.46 in the past week. See? So it's up at one16 ten-thousandths of a cent. Remember, the cryptocurrency market never closes, and it's always volatile.
1: I will say I really love the little guys in this. Stellite and TurtleCoin, love you. Big thanks to Roy W. Nash and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us this week. Thanks for watching the Category 5.TV Newsroom. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And for more free content, be sure to check out our website. From the Category 5.TV Newsroom, I'm Sasha Rickman.
0: And I'm Robbie Ferguson. All right, we've got to take a really quick break. When we come back, we do have a Kingston Data Traveler 2000 to give away. So if you've got your ballots in... Well, stick around. That winner could be you. If you haven't sent in your ballots, what are you doing? Yeah, do are it. You doing? We'll tell you how you can qualify for an upcoming draw as well. Stick around. Whether you shop on ThinkGeek, GearBest, B&H Photo Video, eBay, or Amazon, or even if you want a free trial of Audible, you'll find the best deals and support the shows we produce by simply visiting the shopping sites you already frequent by using the links on our website. Visit category5.tv slash partners for the full and ever-growing list and help us create more free content like this show. Thank you for shopping with our partners, and thank you for watching. Welcome back. This is Category 5 Technology TV, episode number 601. Nice to have you here this week. Uh, If you've been casting your ballot to win a Kingston Data Traveler 2000, now these things are awesome. This is uh, an encrypted flash drive, 64 gigs of storage, and it uses hardware encryption. So you just have to punch in your passcode here, and it will decrypt the drive, and then you plug it into your computer or your TV or whatever device, because there's no software needed.
1: Right. It's all
0: built in the decryption. The ability to decrypt the data is built in to the device on a hardware level.
1: And you know that it's safe because it also will erase your data if you put your password in wrong, like, ten times. Or
0: presumably if someone steals it from you and punches in a wrong password. That's what I actually mean, yeah. yes.
1: So it's super cool.
0: you got to remember your own password. But for the, for the person who finds it, if you drop this and it's got confidential data on it and they start pushing buttons, it will wipe the keys, which allow it to decrypt. See? So then the data can't be recovered. It's an awesome little device. This is like, whether for business or personal use, whatever, just keep it in your pocket. Um, It is fantastic. We've got one of these to give away right now. But before I do, if you haven't cast your ballot yet, All you have to do is just email us. Right. Do you remember the address?
1: It's contest at category5.tv. Yes. Yeah.
0: She's got it. Contest at category5.tv. Just tell us your name, where you're from, where you're watching from, how you're watching. We'd love to hear from you. And with that ballot, we're going to cast you uh, into the next draw. But for those of you who have cast your ballot so far, we've got you tonight. So here we go. Let's see. If you see your name.
1: You're in the running.
0: Oh, yeah. Good luck. All right, Ron. Neil, hey! Peter. And Richard. Carla, Carly. We got Bob. You can say them too. Stand. Stan. Yeah.
1: Scott. Hey, Scott. Take like the next few. Chad. And Joel. And Simon.
0: Look oh. at these CGI graphics.
1: Thomas. Wow. <laughs> David. The tunnel. William.
0: It's Lots of balance this so week, folks.
1: Michael. And Dennis Kelly. Alan.
0: And our winner. Ew. This week. Of a Data Traveler 2000 is Dean Myers. Dean, congratulations. You are the proud new owner of a Kingston Data Traveler 2000. Thanks for watching Category 5 Technology TV. Thanks for casting your ballot. And congratulations on winning. All you have to do, Dean, is send us a quick email just to let us know where we should ship this to. And uh, we will send that off in the mail this week. All right. That is pretty much all the time that we have this week. I just really quickly want to say thank you to those who have been supporting Category 5 TV. Of course, uh, we are raising funds for our replacement Wirecast broadcast server. It's on the way out, and I'm really starting to feel it after hours. Mm -hmm. After the show this week, I have to sit down and do all the editing. Right. It's been brutal, because we've got, like, a burnt motherboard whatever else is going on it, it needs to be replaced and so we need to be able to buy the components to do so and so your contributions thus far have really been helping to be able to start bringing in the components i've got uh, a power supply i've got a cpu cooler we've got inline um, a motherboard um, some storage we've got all the components are coming in <laughs> We've also got to buy the processor, which right. is pretty expensive. And th- yeah. like we may, yeah, there's all kinds, of, we, we're building it ourselves. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. We're going to do it right here. Yes. But so for those of you who have contributed, uh, contributed to that, I appreciate it. Thank for you. those of you who are interested in doing so, just head on over to donate.category5.tv. We appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, also our patrons. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash category five. And uh, that's that's it. That's all the time that we have this week. So um, just a reminder, we're on Twitter at category five TV. I'm personally on Twitter at Robbie Ferguson. If you want to follow me, I follow back. Um, Also, we're on YouTube as category five TV. And if you prefer to watch little edited down segments of the show, you can find Linux Tech Show at linuxtechshow.com. You can watch us on Plex, Cody, Uh, You can get those channels via our GitHub page, github.com slash cat5tv. And, of course, our main website is category5.tv. That brings everything together into one happy place so you can find everything in one spot, category5.tv. Until next week, take care.
1: Bye, everybody.